Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. A few weeks ago, we chatted with attorney Katie Joseph, attorney at Klein Williams in Nebraska. Katie specializes in employee benefits. We spoke with Katie about the recently enacted American Rescue Plan Act and its impact on employers with regard to employee benefits. And at the time, there were a lot of questions about the act as it related to COBRA subsidies in particular. But thankfully, the U.S. Department of Labor has just issued some additional guidance. So we've invited Katie back to the program for a follow-up discussion on these issues. Katie, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Tara. So on March 11th, the American Rescue Plan Act was signed into law, and the act is a $1.9 trillion relief package. Its goal is to expedite the United States' economic recovery from the pandemic. There's a lot of material in this act, but we're going to focus today on the provisions relating to COBRA coverage. So talk to us first about what the American Rescue Plan Act requires with respect to COBRA coverage. Sure. I think it's most helpful to start with a brief overview of what COBRA generally requires and then explain how the ARPA, that's how I'll abbreviate the name of the act so this podcast doesn't run 45 minutes long, then look at how the ARPA changes those basic requirements. So COBRA normally provides an opportunity to continue group health plan coverage when a loss of coverage is triggered by a specific qualifying event. It provides that opportunity to the employee and a spouse and any qualified beneficiaries or qualified dependents who are enrolled in coverage at the time of the qualifying event. Normally, COBRA coverage is employee pay all, although some employers provide a voluntary contribution towards the cost. COBRA also involves very specific notice, election, and timing rules that apply both to employers and employees. So the way the ARPA changes it is by requiring employers to provide a 100% premium subsidy for some COBRA-qualified beneficiaries for a six-month period starting on April 1st, 2021. The eligible group is determined by qualifying events and timing of those qualifying events. So two qualifying events can potentially make people eligible for subsidized coverage. The first is an involuntary termination of employment, and the second is a reduction in hours. Where one of those qualifying events occurs, the affected employee and their spouse and any dependents enrolled in employer-sponsored health plan coverage qualifies for the subsidy during that time period. As to the timing of those qualifying events, they can occur in that six-month period starting April 1st, 2021 through September 30th, or before April 1st of 2021, if the maximum COBRA coverage period has not yet expired. Put a pin in that. We'll talk more about it, I think, a little later. COBRA also has notice obligations, and the ARPA modifies those for people who are eligible for the subsidy. And it doesn't leave employers in the lurch. It provides an offsetting refundable tax credit against the employer share of Medicare taxes. So the legislation left a lot of questions unanswered. What new guidance has become available since our last podcast on this issue? Well, employee benefits lawyers everywhere have been waiting with bated breath for further guidance, and the DOL came through with 
some additional guidance on April 7th, 2021 in the form of frequently asked questions, a summary that seems targeted mostly at employees and some model forms. Those are available on the Department of Labor's website and we will have a link to them in the description of the episode. Now, ARPA left open a few questions. Has the DOL's guidance or sample forms addressed any of these issues? From my perspective, this guidance is more clarifying and confirming plain readings of the statutes. The only blockbuster, relatively speaking, of course, relates to pandemic-related deadline extensions. So listeners out there might be familiar with prior guidance from the Department of Labor and the Internal Revenue Service from 2020 and 2021 that effectively extends deadlines to elect COBRA, ask for special enrollment, and submit claims and appeals. These deadlines arose from the notion that the pandemic has delayed some people's ability to make these elections. It wasn't clear when the ARPA was enacted whether or how this prior guidance would apply to the ARPA's notice and election periods. So the good news, the Department of Labor's question and answer document expressly states that the pandemic-related deadline extensions do not apply to notices and elections relating to ARPA premium assistance. So, importantly, employers need to stick to the statutory deadline and provide notice according to the required timing. And employees need to make a timely election for this subsidized coverage. Generally speaking, they have 60 days from the date they receive notice that the premium subsidy is available. Now, you mentioned that the DOL's guidance clarifies and confirms a few things. Can you explain what those are in a little greater detail, especially with regard to qualifying events? Sure. The first one that comes to mind is there were some questions about the types of qualifying events that trigger the subsidy. So the statute refers to the ordinary COBRA rule that encompasses termination of employment or reduction in hours. And then the statute carves out quote, voluntary termination of employment. If you give that statute a plain reading, my perspective is that it means the triggering events for subsidized coverage are a reduction in hours, whether voluntary or involuntary, and involuntary termination for reasons other than gross misconduct. From my perspective, this guidance confirms that a plain reading applies. It indicates that people are eligible for the subsidy because of Number one, their own or a family member's reduction in hours. It doesn't expressly state whether it's voluntary or involuntary, but from my perspective, if it was intended to be involuntary only, it would have said so. Second, the guidance clarifies, folks are eligible for the subsidy due to involuntary termination of employment. Now note, we don't quite know yet precisely what involuntary means. A similar law that was on the books previously had some guidance accompanying it, Those who need a predictive measure can use that, but it's predictive only, so I would expect that to be addressed in the future. The guidance also clarifies that somebody terminated for, quote, gross misconduct does not qualify for the premium subsidy. So in other words, that normal COBRA rule still applies. So let's talk for a minute about the term gross misconduct. That means different things to employers and employment lawyers and employee benefits lawyers. What does it mean in the COBRA context? The short answer is whatever the judge thinks it does. There's no actual definition in the statute and courts don't even agree on what it means. So our advice is for employers to look at the law in their jurisdiction when deciding. Some examples of how much it varies within the Ninth Circuit, dishonesty and theft 
might not be sufficient to rise to the level of gross misconduct. In the Fourth Circuit, however, repeatedly ignoring warnings to perform job duties properly might qualify. So it's all over the map. Our recommendation generally is carefully, carefully consider the facts and circumstances and the available documentation before you rely on the gross misconduct exception. Erring on the side of caution means you offer COBRA. So outside of the ARPA, normally that means the employee has to pay. Here, that means subsidized coverage, but with an offsetting payroll tax credit. So there's not really a huge financial downside to the employer. Moreover, guessing wrong means you might wind up in court. The employer might be stuck paying claims that aren't covered by an insurer or a stop loss carrier. And the employer might be stuck with a $110 per day penalty for failure to provide the required notice. Now, we know that COBRA generally has some fairly significant notice obligations with respect to employers. How does ARPA's subsidy affect an employer's COBRA notice obligations? Great question. The guidance highlights three changes made by the ARPA. So first, employers need to provide a general notice to people with one of those qualifying events, a reduction in hours or involuntary termination, starting April 1st. Second, Employers or COBRA administrators need to provide notice of an extended election period. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it under one of the next questions. And finally, employers or COBRA administrators need to provide notice 15 to 45 days before that subsidized premium assistance expires. Now, how far back in time must an employer go in identifying employees who are eligible for ARPA's extended election program? And who needs to get notice of this right? So what the ARPA says is that somebody who has one of those qualifying events, reduction in hours or involuntary termination, within a specific time frame has the ability to elect COBRA coverage as of April 1, 2021. That group is anybody who's getting COBRA as of 4-1-2021, they're eligible for the subsidy. And then there's two groups that have the ability to make an election. First, people with an open election period as of April 1st. Second, those who are still in their maximum coverage period as of April 1st, but aren't on COBRA coverage because they either didn't elect it to begin with or they elected and let it lapse. For people in those last two groups, employers must notify them of the extended election period and the premium subsidy by May 31st of 2021. Those folks can elect coverage effective April 1, and as with the ordinary rules, each qualified beneficiary has an independent ability to elect COBRA coverage. So for example, if an employee elected coverage for themselves, but not for their dependents, they can rely on that extended election period to bring the dependents in and take advantage of the subsidy. The COBRA maximum coverage period is gonna determine how far back we have to look to determine who gets notice of that extended election period. So the normal COBRA maximum coverage period for termination of employment or reduction in hours is 18 months. Counting backwards from April 1st, that means people who lost coverage due to an involuntary termination or due to a reduction in hours on or after October 1st, 2019, potentially need to receive the notice. That's just a starting point, however. Maximum COBRA coverage periods can be extended for a few reasons, and employers should be alert to these. One, errors in COBRA administration sometimes prompt people to provide longer periods of coverage Consider that, talk about that with your insurance or your stop loss carrier. Second, a determination of disability by the Social Security Administration can extend COBRA coverage to up to 29 months. 
A second qualifying event, like a death or divorce from the covered employee, can extend COBRA coverage for up to 36 months for the spouse and dependent children. And finally, the covered employee's entitlement to Medicare can also extend COBRA for the spouse and covered dependents for up to 36 months. So potentially, there's a need to look as far back as April 1st, 2018. Now remember, folks aren't eligible for the COBRA subsidy if they're eligible for major medical coverage from another source, such as another employer's group health plan, or if they're eligible for Medicare. Well, it sounds like the DOL has been hard at work in trying to clarify a lot of issues. From your perspective, what else does the DOL's new guidance clarify? Well, I'll hit three highlights. So COBRA nerds in the audience know that the normal COBRA premium is 100% of the cost of coverage, plus up to a 2% administrative fee. The guidance says employers cannot charge COBRA recipients that 2% administrative fee. In other words, the full COBRA premium needs to be covered. Second, we noted in the last podcast that the COBRA subsidy applies more broadly than people might think. And I think it's worth mentioning that the Q&A from the Department of Labor highlights that. So one way that the obligation is more broad is that the subsidy requirement and the premium tax credit apply to state and local governmental plans if the employer has a sufficient number of employees to be subject to federal COBRA under the Public Health Services Act. Generally, that's 20 employees on a typical business day in a previous calendar year. Also, and perhaps more significantly, the premium subsidy and the ARPA's notice requirements apply to state continuation coverage provided under so-called mini-COBRA laws. There's a Q&A that says the act doesn't change the substantive requirements under state law. So if you've got a state law that requires continuation coverage for termination of employment or a reduction in hours, you have a potential obligation to consider at least the ARPA's COBRA subsidy, whether you need to provide it, and how that affects your notice obligations. I'll say that state continuation coverage requirements vary a great deal from state to state, so employers are going to need to look at what the law says in their jurisdiction. Some small employers, in our experience, have been very surprised to find out that there's a state continuation coverage requirement, and our expectation is that they will be correspondingly surprised that there's a need to provide a premium subsidy and that there's a tax credit they can claim. Now note that the scope of a state law might be narrower than federal COBRA. One example is in Nebraska, our continuation coverage laws apply to employers that aren't subject to federal COBRA because of the number of employees. We have a narrower set of qualifying events and generally shorter coverage periods. So employers will need to take differences like that into account. Finally, the the last clarification I wanted to highlight from this guidance is when we last talked, we mentioned that there was some commentary questioning whether the premium subsidy obligation extended to benefits other than major medical. So for example, standalone dental and vision benefits. From my perspective, a plain reading of the statutes suggests that the subsidy extends to all COBRA benefits, so all group health plans, except for those that are expressly excluded. And the only expressly excluded category is health flexible spending accounts. So the statute is silent as to whether any other exceptions apply. Guidance doesn't squarely address this issue, but I would treat it as indicating that the plain reading applies. We can read into the Department of Labor's silence on this topic to infer that if they had intended to exclude other types of benefits, this guidance probably would have indicated the same. So employers need to provide the subsidy and the notice with respect to all benefits that are subject to federal COBRA, 
except for health flexible spending accounts. Now, understandably, all of this information can be a little overwhelming for employers. From your perspective, what should employers be doing right now in light of what ARPA and the DOL have come out with? So employers who haven't already done so should contact their COBRA vendors, or if they handle that in-house, meet with their COBRA team to discuss the strategy for implementation. Confirm that those folks who are, who are charged with implementing this new law have the data they need to determine who gets notice of that extended election period. And you may need to go back as far as 2018 if you have folks who are on a COBRA extension due to a second qualifying event or a disability determination. Let your COBRA implementation team know if you as a plan sponsor have decided to allow for optional election changes under the act. You will likely need to customize those model forms developed by the DOL for your plan. If you're self-funded, you need to discuss any gray areas with your stop-loss carrier so that you're on the same page and you both understand the types of claims and the circumstances in which they'll be covered. If you're fully insured, the same thing goes with your insurer and COBRA vendor and in-house team. There's a requirement under the law that if you've got folks who, for example, had their COBRA premium set up for direct withdrawal from their checking account, so they pay the premium even though they qualify for the subsidy, the employer or whoever got that premium has to refund it to that person within 60 days. So watch for some inertia and the potential need to refund premiums. Finally, this guidance includes some forms that employees can use to A, ask you if they're eligible for premium subsidies or notify you that they're eligible for other group health plans. So remain alert to those forms coming in. So I've been practicing employment law long enough to know that change is inevitable. With that in mind, what future guidance should employers remain alert to? Well, I hesitate to predict what the Department of Labor will do, but the IRS has been pretty predictable in the last year that when there's a tax credit coming out under the law, we see some guidance on it in the form of the instructions to Form 941. Generally speaking, for the next quarter that the 941 is due, that is affected by that tax credit. So here, I'd expect some more detailed guidance relating to the premium subsidy in connection with the second quarter 2021 Form 941 filing obligation. So perhaps sometime in late June or mid to late June. I'd also expect to see a little more guidance on what constitutes a voluntary or involuntary termination, just because that's an issue that's open. And I think you and I both know that whether a termination is voluntary or involuntary is often in the eye of the beholder. That is definitely true. Well, Katie, this has been another great discussion on issues under the American Rescue Plan Act. Thanks for breaking it down for us and keeping us updated on what the DOL is staying busy doing. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. If you'd like to connect with Katie or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Just go to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page, where you can also sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.